you're on. All right. All right. We are Everything live. you say from here on out. Cannon will be Cannon used against will be you. Used against <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> As we sit here telling stories till it's quarter after three. The details are so gory, but that's how they're supposed to be. Is it a song with its own podcast or a podcast with its own song? Either way, I'm John Kim Fay, the evil puppet master behind the both. Welcome to Talking at the Diner, where musicians tell their origin stories over matzo ball soup and mile-high Reuben sandwiches. At least that was the plan. When I got together with Reese Ratliff over the 4th of July weekend, we originally planned to go to a Jewish deli in Bethany Beach, Delaware. Turns out... The place didn't have tables, so we hit the Google Maps and drove another 20 minutes in a torrential thunderstorm to the Bethany Diner, where Reese got the next, next, next best thing, the open-faced Reuben. (laughs) And uh, I got a crab cake. Uh, Anyway, if you don't already know Reese, um, you will. I've known him for what we estimated to be about seven years. Uh, I started out as his vocal coach and eventually became a producer on his debut EP, I'll Take the Fall, from 2018. Since then, he has co-written with tons of songwriters in Nashville and beyond, um, booked and executed his own 21-city tour, released his first full-length album, Compass, uh, become an artist manager, and, uh, oh yeah, just graduated from high school. Get ready to ask yourself, what the hell have I been doing with my life? (laughs) And enjoy my eye-opening conversation with my friend, Reese Ratliff. And uh, sidebar, the first few minutes were recorded in the car during that thunderstorm on our way to the Bethany Diner, so you may hear the pitter-patter of heavy rain and the sound of my left turn signal on for a painfully inordinate amount of time. Um, This is what happens when you get old. So sue me. Everything is on the table. Even at the (laughs) young age that you are, you are already like so getting a glimpse of all these different aspects of the music business. What are you doing in a couple days? Heading down to uh, to Costa Rica in a couple days for a writer's retreat um, with uh, some people from this music mentorship group that I'm a part of. So, how'd you get involved with that? Like, what is a music mentorship group exactly? So, this is honestly, it's called Billboard 500, and uh, it's honestly the only thing of its kind that I've seen. It's just, it's kind of like this incubator for writers, producers, artists. Um, I love that term, incubator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like you were all like... Preemies. Preemies. Yep. Exactly. Put them under the incubator. <laughs> That's great. 
but yeah, so they they bring in speakers and um, nice. Now, do you have to like apply to be in that or? Is yeah. It, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's an application process. Um, a buddy of my dad's actually is in the group and was the one who told him about it. Um, since then, we've gotten to write a couple songs together, and um, so it's just been you know this incredible new circle of people and nice. get to go spend a week with them in the jungle write some, <laughs> write some songs and, and you are gonna be meeting all these people for, for, for the first time yes so, so you've been communicating uh, zoom and whatnot up yep, to now plenty of plenty of zoom calls a lot of uh texts and facebook messages for for the international ones um, oh so people are like from all over the world doing oh 100 percent. i'm i <laughs> i worked on a track this morning with uh this country artist from alberta canada and a producer from uh originally from england but living in vietnam now how do these groupings occur does somebody at the top of the organization say okay reese guy from Canada and guy from Vietnam you're working on a thing like how's that work yeah so there's been there's been a little bit of that um, with some of the mentorship stuff they'll kind of break us into groups um, but now I mean a lot of it is just you know you you make these connections and you write with people and um, you know find your find your team find your circle and um, and so how many people are going to be, like, attending the Costa Rica thing? Do you know? It is 15 of us. Oh, so pretty intimate. Yeah. So nice uh, nice small group. Be breaking up into smaller sessions and just have a couple portable studios set up around this house. Nice. So it's kind of like the real world music biz edition. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um and did you say something to the effect that you're going to be, like, writing, like, commercials or, like, stuff for brands? Is that what you mentioned? Yeah, so I cannot talk too much okay. about that. All right. Um, All right, it's top secret stuff. Everybody. But some of it is top secret, yeah. Gotta watch out for my NDAs and everything. Of course. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of it is targeted towards sync, which is music for film, TV, um, trailers, commercials, all those types of placements. Okay, and remind everybody how old you are, Reese. I'm 18. All right, so this is a guy who's 18 years old. He's already like in the thick of writing songs for sync licenses and stuff. I mean, that's so I, I gotta say, man, like, so you just graduated high school. I did a couple yes. weeks ago. I think I was talking to either your mom or your dad at one point and I was like I can't believe Reese is just now graduating high school because like having known you from the time you were what probably 12 or 13 yeah I think uh, I think 11 or 12 maybe even younger yeah okay so even younger it feels to me like you should have graduated high school like six years ago or something. trust me man i felt the exact same <laughs> way i got back we always joked um after the tour sophomore year i got back i was like what the hell are we doing like i don't you know i don't want to I, mean, I don't want to be in high school i want to be touring the world and i mean this is kind of like a heavy question but like 
Is it weird for you to be like so far beyond your actual age in terms of your maturity and in terms of like the experiences you've had so far? Or does it just seem like, well, this is who I am, this is my life, and this is what it is? I would say it's definitely gone both ways. And I feel like it's so tough to talk about without, you know, coming from a place of ego and, you know, saying, because I've had these experiences, I'm more advanced or more whatever than my peers. Um, but I don't know. It's definitely been this weird disconnect, like, you know, going out on the road and then coming back to school or, you know, going to school. And then that night having writing sessions with people around the world and pitching songs and all that good stuff. There has to be some kind of like dissonance (laughs) for sure. Yeah. But honestly, I feel like so much of, of who I am today comes from that dissonance. And I feel like if I had had that normal high school experience and, you know, parties every weekend and hanging out with friends all the time and all that kind of stuff, I wouldn't be anywhere near, near where I am career wise. Um, so you know, there's there's definitely been that disconnect, but I would say all in all, it's been uh, so much more of a, a blessing to net have that experience. Absolutely yeah. net positive, yeah. I feel really lucky to obviously um, have known your dad for as many years as I, as I have. I mean, John was my college buddy and um, was lucky enough to sort of stay in touch with him over the years and and then I I guess as you said Reese like around the time you were 11 or 12 I get a call hey uh, my son's really into music <laughs> you want to like give him vocal lessons of course um, and then so you know we started working together on helping you develop your voice and before too long you were writing your own songs which were incredibly mature for a teenager. I often cringe when I think of what I was writing at the age of 15, 16. Trust years me, old. man. There were there were plenty of those too. Well, I think fair enough, but you know, invisible and some, some Yeah, of those but songs. you know, even that stuff was I mean, my first song, which I, I couldn't even... It actually took me a long time to be able to write songs by myself because I didn't play guitar at first. Um, so my first co-write in high school was a song called Bag Lady, which... Um, you know, what the hell do I know about bag ladies? You know, I'm trying to, like, <laughs> write this song. Uh, that was that was kind of, like, uh, the, the big issue with me back then was sort of like this... Uh, imposter thing where I was like pretending to be more worldly than I was whereas you actually went out and became worldly (laughs) like talk a little bit about you know so we worked together on your first EP I'll Take the Fall and this is this is what three years ago now three and a half yeah okay so this record comes out and you book your own tour like you had just gotten your driver's license <laughs> and then you, so how does that idea come to fruition? Like, how do you convince your parents? Honestly, man, I think you might be to blame for all of Am it. Am I to blame? Absolutely. <laughs> I think, I think when we were talking about the record and about 
what happens after you put out a project the word tour came up and I think I kind of just my ear picked that up and I was like tour that sounds kind of fun <laughs> maybe I'll, I should maybe I'll do those. that wow. so I remember sitting around the dining table and you know bringing it up for the first time and I think you were actually there for that and we were yeah I think so. <laughs> we we had just come up from a vocal lesson and I was like, by the way, like what do you guys think about going on solo? But the thing about it is is like, okay, you can say just as a concept, yeah, I should go on tour. But you then take that to the level of, oh, I'm gonna go on tour by myself at sixteen. <laughs> I'm just going to book the shows myself and drive around the country on my own. Absolutely. I mean, that's, come that's on. how we do it. That's <laughs> when you say that's we. <laughs> that's how uh, that's not how most people do it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've actually made it to a diner that's open and presumably has tables. So this is good. Hey, what's going on? Two. Yeah. Got some Eye of the Tiger to I know. Uh, what that's, provide the sound check. That's, that's the beauty of it. Eye of the Tiger is pretty good for a yeah. walk-in. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> All right. So let's get back to the topic at hand. Yes. So we're sitting at your dining room table. Yes. Hey, sitting... what do you think about me going on tour, Mom and Dad? <laughs> do you remember their reaction? I think it was, it was definitely... Like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> like what are you saying? Skepticism? A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of little bit of skepticism. I think if I'm being completely honest with you, I think when they first agreed to it, they didn't think I would follow through. Oh. It was like I think I think Sure, you yeah, can do that, Wayne. I think it was shock. Um yeah, from day one I've always had the feeling that especially with my career, I've needed to do everything myself. You know, I've I've seen so many people who have their dad carry their guitar case into the venue, and I was, you know, just never really associated with that. Um, Your dad's not the the guitar carrying case kind of guy, or every once in a while, if they need to be. And I mean, obviously, my parents have been incredibly supportive oh, yeah. and you know cannot uh, I, would, I have firsthand knowledge of that yeah so, absolutely yes. I can't express my gratitude enough for that yeah. but in terms of you know the groundwork it's been kind of kind of going both ways they've said you know you're doing this like you can do it yeah. you know and booking shows and um lining up venues and airbnbs and all that good stuff that was you know I would I um I had to speed up my second semester curriculum to finish in April. That's right. I remember road. that. So you were like hauling ass to yep. finish your <laughs> year of high school so that you could like leave to go out on tour. Now So this is literally something that you you conceived from scratch. So how did you like pick the places you wanted to play like what was that process like for you? Honestly, man, it was after finishing schoolwork at midnight, trying to speed everything up. I would set up at my kitchen table with a cup of coffee and um, 
you know, look up venues in Milwaukee, venues in Chicago, venues in Toronto, venues, you know, and... But did you have, like, in your mind, like, I definitely want to hit these markets or these towns? Yeah, so... Like, how did you... My, actually, my original idea... It was cool. I was cleaning out my room for college, packing everything up, and I found the original map that I had drawn out. I'd printed out a map of the U.S., and on that one, there were, <laughs> I think there were probably 50 or 60 dots of all the, Ambition. Of all the cities Ambition, I Ambition, baby. I love um, it. So we ended up narrowing it down to 21, stuck to uh, just the eastern half of the U.S., and... One stop in Toronto. Um, Once you go past like a certain line in the middle of the country, yeah. it's just you're gonna be the drives are gonna a, get a lot longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the furthest west was uh, like St. Louis, Grand Rapids, like that you know midwestern strip. Right. Um, a few minutes. Yeah. Thank you. She already hates us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you narrow it down to 21 dots on a map. Yep. And you just start emailing Yeah, promoters. so looked up venues, Googled spots, and found this database with venues in every city and um, went for, like, the... Mostly in the, I would say, 50 to 250 capacity range. Um, I was a little ambitious with, I think, Pittsburgh. We had a bigger spot. Um, I think I remember you saying so. Yeah. Because uh, Pittsburgh. you were like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I know. We're going to get people to fill this place. But. I, had, I had a lot of friends up there at the time, and I really thought we could fill it. But uh, I think my I think my eyes may have been a little bit too big on that one. Yeah. Well, but, uh, hey, that's how it goes. You, you know, gotta, there were you gotta aim high, man. Yeah. You know, there now, were a couple empty rooms, but there were also a couple, you know, really strong crowds and just cool. great nights along the way. So now, if I recall correctly, you had an interesting experience at like the uh, Indianapolis. Uh, race I did talk about yeah. that because that's a that's nuts so this is actually <laughs> this is where uh, where the age thing came into play they vetted you and I was like <laughs> I sent you guys my social media I sent you my bio that had my age in it like really like two so weeks they, before they the just, show they just decided to read your bio after they booked you and you had been up front yeah you weren't trying to oh no I was I mean because you know to look at you you could conceivably pull the wool over people's eyes and not even bring it up. But you were honest, you did the right thing, and then they screwed you. <laughs> so what happened? I found out while I was in Nashville, actually. Okay, so you, you already started the tour. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was two weeks before the show. I was already on the road. Okay. Um, and there were a couple of those, actually, just like last-minute switches while I was already out there and, like, sitting in coffee shops, like, frantically sending out emails and all that good stuff. I need a show! Yeah. <laughs> I had a show, and now I don't have a show. Um, they took away the show. <laughs> I'm trying to get a new one. But, yeah, so I was over at, uh, at Lindsay's house, Lindsay Waller, um, and I told her that they pulled the rug out and was trying to find 
something else in indie. Lindsay, Lindsay Lawler, who for those of you who don't know, she manages the Music Loft, which is your guys' space in Nashville that you have. Manages the Music Loft and has been one of my biggest mentors along the way. Yeah, and she also happens to be a great artist and songwriter in her own right. Yes, absolutely. Incredible country artist and um, has done has done Nashville, has done the whole thing. And So how did she help you in that indie situation? So she said, uh, I don't know if the timing lines up, but... Seamus and I, her husband, have uh, have a couple buddies that always go to the Indy 500. She was like, I don't know, you know, what their plan is. I don't know, but they always camp out, and I can see if they want some music at their tailgate. Uh, I was like, you know what? Like, so brilliant. Man. Why not? You know, you know? What? like, all right. So, so you, obviously, you did it. Yeah. And how so, was the experience? Oh, it was it was incredible. I uh, I showed up, talked to their friend. It was, you know, just huge energy and kind of the ringleader of this whole group of people. Um, so I set up my PA. I played for a good two, three hours, made... I think like 400 bucks in tips like it was you know ridiculous i think and there then, was something uh, inside you that probably instinctively knew that yes you should do that because you knew it was going to be cool oh 100 percent. i know i mentioned the tips but the experience of of being there and they even you know i was gonna play and then go back to an airbnb for the night and i get there and they're like you have a tent I'm like, I do, like, just in case I had to camp at some point along the way, I had... As a matter of fact, I do yeah. have a tent. And uh, they're like, all right, just set up camp here. Like, you know, don't go, stay with us. Like, have a couple beers, hang out. Like, they were like, we have an extra ticket for the race tomorrow if you want to go. It's like, do you really? Like, can I, can I buy it off you? Like, can I? And they're like, no, 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 you're coming with us, like... You're coming to the race. So you actually saw the Indy 500. So, yeah. Not only did I get to play the show, I hung out that night. You, had, you had people giving you a couple beers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a couple beers were consumed in the campsite. Wow. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, Well, you, know, you earned it, man. It, no? was, it was incredible. <laughs> you definitely it was... earned it. <laughs> That's another funny thing, like, when I think about, you know, like, your maturity level. It's like, oh, it's not technically legal for this guy to have a beer yet he's three years away from that oh my god it's just so weird to think about that you know but you have a lot of cool adults in your life apparently (laughs) who are very uh gotten very liberal about that kind of thing gotten very lucky with uh I've been surrounded with. I'm lucky with the, the beer providers in my world, and uh, it's cool. So my my brain just jumps around in terms of topics, but like that makes me think of Good Kids, which is your song. Yes. About the 420, as they they say. As they say. Now, you and I worked on that song back in its uh, sort of like uh, embryonic stages. And I never, I never made that connection. 
until you basically explicitly said so, <laughs> introducing the song at one of your shows. Oh, at uh, at Ford at the listening party. Yeah. Honestly, man, I. I stepped up to the mic and I didn't know I was going to say it, but I knew I had to grab the people in that room in some way because there, there were some people in that room and I was like, here goes. Everybody loves sweet. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in a room with music industry professionals. Right. and For some reason, like, I thought it was like some kind of... Uh, <clears throat> you know, high on life kind of thing, you know, like a little nod to Reese's days in the school of rock where like, you know, it's like a little room where like the kids go to hang out, but then they play rock music together. But yeah, but no, (laughs) I mean, honestly, man, it's, that's the crazy thing about music is, you know, any, any art, anything that you create is up for interpretation and Honestly, it was it was inspired. I was at summer camp, and uh, a buddy of mine and I were were sitting out in this hammock, and um, we saw this group of kids that like had always been like the good kids, and like never you know, never really did anything, like sneak off into the woods, and like came back like stumbling around. And I was like, all right, like we get it, okay, and. I was just like, I don't know, something, something about that moment sparked where the good kids go to get high. Line, you know, this is where the good kids go to get high. It's such an unexpected line. Thank you so much. Written in such a way that I guess a a more uh, straight edge guy like me can (laughs) interpret it as like, oh, he's just high on life, man. Like, you know, I get it. (laughs) For sure. That's always the goal, though. I feel like I feel like the best songs are uh, are the ones that can be, you know, meaningful to whoever comes across them in their own way. So I love that. I love that. That's the take. It's that slight tinge of vagueness where you can you can basically. It's just universal. Superimpose your own that, life yeah. into it. And it can be different from the guy sitting over there or the girl sitting over there. And yet, everybody's relating to it. And I think that's really a cool aspect of a lot of your songs, actually. Like, Thank I, you I so mean, much. I, you know, that's, it's I been, mean, that, uh, that universal undertone is, you know, something that I really strive for in my writing. So I really appreciate that. So... Your writing has evolved quite a bit since, you know, your early days as a writer. I mean, you had, you had mentioned, when I mentioned my early efforts, you have some in your early period that, um, you know, you probably don't play anymore. Absolutely. But kind of like walk everybody through how songwriting has evolved for you, because nowadays you're collaborating with a lot more people actually you and i have Absolutely. a have a co-write that's going to be my next single <laughs> you know collaboration is not my first option as a songwriter do you feel like like where do you stand now in 2021 as far as your attitude towards songwriting because you're doing a lot more collaborating but where does it kind of stand and how you view it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's always something to be said about sitting down with a journal and a guitar. 
and you know just whatever is meant to come out you know just just letting it come out onto the page um but i don't know man you look at you know all the all the songs that are out right now all the major credits and you know uptown funk has 12 writers on it and justin bieber's tracks have you know 10 people and katie perry taylor swift like they all have their tribe that they write with um and i think the biggest thing for me is just like every new person that i've written with has taught me something about songwriting and i mean you know stepping into the room with you when lessons started to turn from yeah they were hardly, focus on vocals they were hardly to, lessons anymore after a certain point they that were, was that or, was or, the coolest or more part. so was, they might have become lessons for me <laughs> <laughs> like i said i i took so much from that and and working with the writers in this group i've learned so much and um my first nashville co-write i got down there and Lindsay threw me in the room with these two incredible badass women emily west and amara hall yeah so emily west is yes. a force of nature from nashville i've only seen her once and it was one the one time at the music loft where like everybody was coming up and doing one song or oh. you know so yeah you you uh, haven't you haven't even seen her i'm sure i'm just scratching the surface but you know isn't isn't uh, her like professional tagline like you know sing the phone emily west sings sing the, the phone, phone book. book yep whatever she lends her voice to yeah. it's immediate like chills judy garland level magic <laughs> she really is we we always say if she had been born in a different generation her voice would have been worth millions of dollars runner up on america's got talent and you know plays plays out around nashville i got to see her one of her first shows back from covid and just absolute powerhouse and uh all right so you wrote so, this song yeah, with so her into the and room. with the other girl was um her name is amara hall amara, she yes. is and she's more of like a hip-hop yeah. based writer so that was a really cool collaboration it had to have been like very interesting different viewpoints and, and it approaches. was yeah it was it was incredible um so we step into the room and um, we're at the music loft. Um, we have this white piano that sits right by the window, and um, you know, we we came in, made some coffee, started talking, and Emily goes, "I want to write a Freddie Mercury ballad today." First, first Nashville co-write. At this point, Lindsay has not told me a single thing about either of these women. I don't know who Emily West is. And, uh, that must have actually been intimidating because I can imagine oh, her was, personality is rather uh, powerful. Yes, she is. You know, well, she, she basically she dictated uh, sure. what the root of the song yeah. was going to go from the get go. Absolutely, know. and we we sit down. We write this song called "Only Fools." Um, and I mean, she she spoke it into existence. It was absolutely a, a Freddie Mercury like falsetto. Just uh, now, you've never actually released that. Is there a plan for that? Yeah, so I recorded it with this one producer in town and um, never, never really got it across the finish line. Broke things off for a little bit. I think I may see if I can hit him up when I get down to Nashville and, you know, kind of see if we can get that one back. The minute you played it for the first time, I was like, whoa. I mean, 
just beautiful melody, like perfect for your voice because you you're one of those guys that's got that falsetto. Thank like, you. Just thank you. Down, you know. So I, I think that I would love to see you release that someday. But yeah, I mean, you know, it it all goes back to the people that you write with. Just, I mean, for Emily, it was a Freddie Mercury ballad. For Amara, it's her rhyme schemes and her, you know, hip hop tendencies. For um, some of the people that I've worked with recently, it's more of that kind of Latin reggaeton kind of feel. Thank you so much. Fries too, didn't you? Oh, I did, yeah. Awesome, thanks. Interesting bun for this. Like, I it looks like I got two, two, two bottoms. bottoms. <laughs> what in the world? Two bottoms, everybody. Two bottom buns. <laughs> That's a name for something. I was gonna say, two bottom there's, buns. There's something in there. Uh, <clears throat> anything with alliteration. That's been the cool thing, too. Like, I remember learning alliteration in like a middle school English class and now it's like something that we legitimately talk about in songwriting actively and, use yeah. all the time it's always nice when something you learn in school is actually put to practical use yeah so so little of it is but exactly where is the bathroom in Spanish and uh, alliteration <laughs> yeah may have to use that first one next week mm-hmm. it's actually it's been it's been really cool. I'm really grateful that I took Spanish instead of any other language because writing on that uh, whole English-Spanish hybrid type vibe has been really, really fun. I uh, I manage this artist out in L.A., and we've been writing a ton of, like, reggaeton, like, Latina, like, really cool. Back up for a second. Did you say you manage someone? I do. I didn't know you got into artist management, but do tell. So, the start of what I'm hoping will be um, an artist development company that I want to build. But yeah, I've been managing this artist, Lisette Monroe. Um, How'd you come into contact? She actually, she followed me on Instagram for a while and reached out to me one night and asked if I wanted to write a song. She was like, I've been trying to finish up this song for a while and, um, you know, I really love your stuff. I know this is a, a long shot, but I would love to write with you. And, you know, I've been the kid on the other side of that DM and, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, why not? I'll, I'll get in the room with anyone once. So, set up. That is, very, that is a very healthy attitude, Reese. <laughs> I'll get in the room with anybody once. Uh. <laughs> no, you don't have to name names. But has there ever been a co-write where you left the room being like, eh. <laughs> Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's been... There's been eh... And there's been never again. Oh, okay. (laughs) So in the never again, why would that be? The person's personality just was obnoxious or they just didn't really have the the goods? Yeah, so I've only had two or three never again moments. One was personality and ego and just not someone that I wanted to kind of foster that working relationship with. Right. One was 
we got on and I mean, I'm used to co-writes where, you know, we go back and forth and we throw out ideas and all that good stuff. And I don't know if it's because they hadn't really co-written before or what, but kind of like got on the call and then just both muted ourselves and wrote two different songs. You know, I think so much of the process is finding the people that you really click with and just establishing those relationships. And same goes for, you know, producers and all those kinds of people too. So you're starting at Belmont in the fall, or in in August technically? I'm living down there for a month before we start, just, you know, getting a head start. And So you're going to be living with people who are in the same major as you yes which is songwriting yes how did this come about like there's what seven of you or eight of you or yeah so there's a couple people in and out i think it's uh it's four of us that are there the whole time but all in all i think it'll be eight or nine people miracle of uh modern technology they had us all in a facebook group for accepted students and met my roommate through that we started talking he's a songwriting major from boston so we hit it off, and then I was down in Nashville the week that uh, Compass came out, mm-hmm. and that guy Jake Olbaum, who had a couple credits on the record, mm-hmm. reached out. He was like, hey, I'm producing for this artist from Belmont. Um, she wants to put a, a duet on her next EP, and you know, I thought you would be a really good fit if you want to write with us. But yeah, so wrote with her, her name's Christina, and uh, we hit it off. We've probably written 10, 20 songs together at this point. And, um, 10 or 20? 10 or 20. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot. So my roommate and I were down for orientation back in April, I think it was. So we were down for the week, and we had her over to our place to write one night. And the three of us just really hit it off. And I'd been planning on, you know, whether it was at the loft or somewhere else, trying to come down early over the summer. And apparently they both thought I was joking until we signed the <laughs> the contract for the house. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's always such a good energy with, you know, writer's retreats. And it'll be interesting to see what we... Uh, what we do. I wanted to circle back to Compass. Yes. Because you wrote basically most of that, if not all of it, while on the tour or just after the tour? Is that A lot of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't your dad give you that journal? He did, yes. Tell that story, because I think it's beautiful. So the day before I left, I'd had my license for about a week at this point. (laughs) Um... Still working on my parallel parking, but, uh, you know. Oh, I learned quick. But yeah, he uh, he laid out seven or eight journals on the couch, and uh, he said, "All right, Reese, you can you can go on this journey on one condition." He was like, "You pick a journal from you know all of all of the ones here and." No matter what happens, every night you write down your stories. 
and uh, amazing. I looked down the line, and you know there were there were a couple cool ones, but I saw one with a compass on the front, and uh, it's like, all right, that seems fitting. Like, kind of, you know, spoke to me and picked it up. But yeah, I mean, every night throughout the tour, I would, you know, but it was that that sort of fostered the idea that you would write every night. Yes, 100%. And, and that is the raw material from which the, you wrote the record. So that's Absolutely. incredible. Those stories are uh, definitely the, like you said, the the raw material. Weren't there a couple of instances on the road where, like, your GPS stopped working or something and you had to, like... Uh, get some uh, long distance uh, navigation going on there was yeah there was there was one night I was camping in the southern part of Illinois and it was a late night I just played a show and got to the campsite around you know 12 one in the morning and for the life of me could not find where I was supposed to spend the night and uh, before I knew and, and it, and to my, what do you attribute this? Was there was it just bad signal? It was. I mean, it was a. It was a campground right. in the middle okay. of nowhere. Okay. And there was, so you know, probably not the best service. Yeah. Not no, a lot of bars. Certainly, certainly <laughs> not a lot of bars. Um, but also, just like everything was like wooden signs. Like it wasn't really right. even on a GPS. Got um, it. So you're like off the beaten path. As yeah. It is. So after about 45 minutes of driving around and like being just exhausted, like so ready to, I honestly, I was ready to to just sleep in the car at that point. But I called my dad and I was like, hey, like I'm really sorry to wake you. Um, I'm driving around this state park and like I'm not sure where I'm going. I was like, is there any chance you can like look up the map and see if you can like figure like, out is there any chance sorry to wake you but i'm shitting myself out here in southern illinois i have no idea where i am i'm exhausted that was the thing like i wanted so badly to just to do it all myself and to navigate but he had texted me earlier that day and like knew i was camping and he was like let me know when you get to the campsite like you know we're we're not gonna intrude but like let me know when you're there safe and the text never came and I was certainly not there safe yet. I, I, I remember wanting to go to bed so bad, but being like, I promise. Like, I gotta, I gotta write. You're, so, you're fulfilling the commitment. Threw down a page or two and woke up and, you know, finished the rest of the story. But I'm sure you realize this, but, like, you are really fortunate to have the parents you have because they have let you be you. You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't. You couldn't even fault them if they like I- imposed any kind of like restriction. I mean, you're you're young. You know, like the fact that they facilitated you having this experience at that young age is. I mean. That's amazing. It's great parenting. You have to let people find themselves, and you you know you can't just hover and rein people in. I mean, and and you of all people, because you're, I'll say it so you don't have to. You're an extraordinary individual. 
it's just the truth. You know, I've, I've never really met anybody who is a, a, as good at everything as you are who remains humble. And that has to that has to have everything to do with the atmosphere in which you were raised. Absolutely. Because it would be easy, Reese, for you to get away with being a dick. Let's just be blunt. You could do it <laughs> if you chose to, and you choose not to. And that is that's one of the things I, I like and respect the most about you. Your your talent and your, you know all the musical stuff aside. I mean, you you said it perfectly. It's all about the atmosphere and the environment that I grew up with, and you know so much of it is my parents and and the way that they've raised me and. Um, especially on the, the humility side, so much of it is my grandfather, my dad's dad, who... Who I remember yeah. very fondly. Yes. Um, he passed away when I was 12 or 13, um, but he, you know, he was the same way. He was, he did a lot, and he was just the most humble, genuine, kind person. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like more than anything else, that's kind of my tie to him. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, staying grounded in that, in that headspace and, and never, never being bigger than I need to be. I love it. I mean, what's not to love, really? I want to thank Reese Ratliff for that great conversation. Um, I know we're all going to be hearing a lot more from this guy. And I hope you all enjoyed that. And if you are digging the podcast and all the other stuff that I'm doing on Patreon, um, please tell a friend and help grow this already awesome community into something even more dominant. (laughs) Uh, My name is John Kim Fay, and I thank you all for your incredible support, and uh, as I like to say around my house, appreciate yous! Everything is on the table When we're talking at